All right, thank you guys for coming on a Wednesday night. It's always a blessing to see our Wednesday night group, and it's a blessing to be able to pray together, so that's a good thing. Um, 1 Samuel 17, while you turn there, I, I just wanted to mention, so yesterday I celebrated a birthday, and I really want to thank, man, the cards, people came by with sweets, and I got phone calls all day, it was a blessing. I got no work done yesterday, but I got to talk to a lot of people. Um, more than ever before, and I was wondering, uh, Pastor DeFord, if, if as you get closer to the end, do people care more? I don't know if that's part of the issue or not, as as you get in further... Now, I'm not as old as Pastor Forsberg, thank goodness. When, when, he, <laughs> when he was born, the Dead Sea was just sick. So that's, uh, but amen. I, I found this, I thought some of these applied to, our, uh, to, the, uh, to the getting older. You know you're getting older when you find, find your mouth making promises your body can't keep. Your social security number has only three digits. You look both ways before crossing a room. You begin every other sentence with, nowadays, in a hostage situation, you're likely to be released first. That is a blessing, actually. Uh, people call you at 9 p.m. and ask, did I wake you? There's nothing left to learn the hard way. Amen. <laughs> That's good. And uh, anyway, there's, a, there's more of these, but you're, I like this one. Your secrets are safe with your friends. They can't remember them either. So getting older is, is fun. But anyway, I, I appreciate it. It was a blessing to see some of the people reach out yesterday, and that was good. We're at 1 Samuel chapter 17. And uh, we're talking about the best-known story in the Bible. So obviously we're taking a few weeks to talk about it, getting a lot of lessons out. But as uh, for those of you who are, are new or visiting tonight, we're going through a series on, the, on King Saul, uh, the, the rejected king. And the obviously, as we come to First Samuel and other places, we do take kind of dips into David's experience because David's experience at this time was so related to Saul. As Saul's star is sinking, David's star is rising because of Saul's rejection of God and his commandments. So uh, we are we're looking as Saul just goes further and further down, and you can see the difference between these men uh, clearly in chapter seventeen of First Samuel at the story of Goliath. To review, I just want to go over last week, we talked about the villain. Uh, villain in this duel was the uh, Philistine giant, uh, Goliath, and we talked about him and his background. Uh, he was part of the member of the army there, and he came out with the uh, sensible, I guess, if, if you're in a day where all your combat is hand-to-hand and slicing and dicing, it makes sense. Why not let two guys cut each other up instead of uh, 10,000 guys? So, uh, they decided that they would have one come out and challenge, and you send one. Only Israel didn't have anybody to offer. They had no volunteers. And so Goliath of Gath, uh, from 9 to 12 feet tall, depending on who you read and who you believe, but uh, that he was tall. He was a lot taller than any of us in here. Uh, he had a tremendous amount of hardware on him, covered with all kinds of armor. And uh, so that's what we looked at, the villain. Then we looked at the volunteer in this duel, which was... After David entered the scene, and only after David entered the scene, was Saul able to get a volunteer to deal with this giant. Uh, David's entrance, David's examination, we looked at those. Uh, that's where we're at now as, as we look at David's examination. We talked about the test of his courage and uh, the test of contempt, both from his brother Eliab and from uh, Saul himself. And uh, so now we are getting to 
the place where we ended last week. And see how short it was last week? It's not that short this week, but all right, I condensed it just a little bit. But let's pick up, if we uh, can, at, um, oh, let's see here, uh, verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and I slew him. All right. Seriously, stop and think about that verse. I'm going to assume it's the lion he's talking about here. Uh, they have beards more than... I guess bears have beards. I've never been close enough to look, but uh, lions specifically have that. And uh, if you've ever had the pleasure of going to visit Brother Jerry Ellenson, if you haven't, go. He's got a great trophy room, and one of the things he has is a full-body lion that he shot in Africa. Um, I have instructed him to will that to me. I don't know if he will or not, but one day I hope to have it in my office. I thought it'd be great right behind me. Wouldn't that be intimidating, have a giant lion behind me when I'm talking to people? It would help. Maybe intimidate them a little bit, because so, I don't intimidate them at all. So, but uh, but this lion, it's it's humongous, and it's, of course it's got his mouth growling. And I always think of this verse. I'm looking at that lion, and of course he, when he shot it, he tells me the story about how tremendously strong they are. They're incredibly strong, just a powerhouse. And here he rips the sheep out of its mouth and grabs it by the beard, it says. And I don't know, whatever he did to the lion, but he grabs it by... Who would want to grab a lion by the beard? But that's what he does. What a, what a verse. So what we're looking at here is David's test of credentials. This was his third test. He, he, did he have credentials for fighting Goliath? He's a youth, again. Uh, Saul implied that he did not, but then David argued that he did have the credentials for the job, and the argument he gave was these two verses, 34 and 35. So David connect, don't, don't miss this because this is important, he connected his past victories to his present conflicts. And so often in our life, we forget what God's done in the past when we have our current giant in front of us, and our current giant will just be a little bit bigger and just be a little bit worse than what we've defeated in the past. And uh, so then it's, it's easy to forget what God has done for us back there. And look at verse 36. So this is how he connects them. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. So David's credentials consisted of two things, his feats and his faith. Uh, his, his feats or his accomplishments, while he's watching the sheep, he had fought and won two battles, which were extraordinary achievements, a lion and a bear. We just read that sometimes, and we just don't stop and consider what a phenomenal achievement that is. I mean, it's one thing if you're sitting on a rock, watching your sheep, and to the right here, you have your bazooka, and you're waiting for the lion and the bear. But he didn't have a bazooka, nor did he have a shotgun. He had a sling, and here he had his hands, and he used them against the lion and the bear. It's, it's incredible. And I don't think David's bragging as he's applying for this job or this, this uh, duty here. He's just giving his credentials, and Saul needed to know about these past battles. So he, they let Saul know that David wasn't just some inexperienced rube 
Uh, he has had some experience in battle, and uh, he had what was necessary to f- defeat Goliath. First of all, he had what no other soldier in the army had. He had courage. All right, that's, that's good. Amen? We need courage. We're not going to accomplish anything without courage. Then he had the willingness to go into the fight. There might have been some men in the army that had courage, but not enough to go face Goliath. Then he had enough courage to put himself in the fight. But really, the most important thing, and this is what David keeps pointing out, God was with him. God won that battle, and God's going to win this battle. Verse 37, he says that. The Lord delivered, wait, where am I at here? The Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. Now, David proved that he was qualified to take on Goliath. Now, let me make make a statement and think about this. Write this down in the notebook of your mind if you're not taking notes, but think about this statement. We have to win battles in private if we're going to win battles in public. Uh, It's necessary for us to get some of those things in our private life taken care of before we're going to do anything big for God in the public field. We've got to conquer field with the sheep if we're going to conquer uh, conquer the field with the soldiers as well. So this is important for us to remember. If you do great things for God, it's going to be because you've got some things taken care of in your personal life. You want to defeat your personal giants before you defeat public giants. Uh, Proverbs 16.32 speaks of this. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Now, do we know that? I, I like that it says he. I mean, it, I wish it said she, but it says he. And I think it applies to both, but how hard is it for a man to rule his spirit? Men, we know how hard it is. And it says it's easier to take a city. That's not easy. Never done it. Uh, but it's easier to take a city. In other words, win a battle on the battlefield than it is to win a battle in your heart. But that's why it's so important. And if you're going to win that battle in the battlefield, we've got to be able to rule our spirit. To be great publicly, determined to be right, uh, great privately. It'll help you. Luke 16.10, He that is faithful in that which is least is also faithful in much. Uh, Jeremiah 12.5, If thou hast run with the footmen, and they have wearied thee, how canst thou be contend with horses? That's a great question, isn't it? I don't even know the context for that. I mean, I can't remember exactly the context for it. But alone, that stands. If you run with people and they tire you out, how are you going to run with horses? And so I'm simply saying we have to... David David was going the right progression here. Before he met his Goliath, the, the Goliath, he had a few victories behind him, and he's using them to build his faith. As he wins victories there, it builds his faith to be able to take on Goliath. And uh, this is so true in our life. If you can't be... Faithful to church. Don't expect God to get you teaching a Sunday school class. And if you can't be faithful in teaching a Sunday school class, don't expect God to put you in the pulpit. You know what I'm saying? Uh, be faithful where you are. Bloom where you're planted. Do what God has you doing, and, and he'll give you more. So David's credentials of, of his uh, feats, and then also his faith. Look at verse 37 again. David says here that the Lord ha- that delivered me. He, he, he delivered me from the lion and the bear. He's the one that's going to deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So, remember what we talked about, how Goliath looked? Man, he must have been a sight. Covered in brass, coming down as the sun's rising and hitting that valley. By the way, um, uh, pray you, you know I was going to Israel a couple of years ago, planning to, and then that didn't work out. And uh, Lord willing, I'll be going first of next year. 
And uh, I'm really excited about pray that that'll work out. I, I really have wanted to go. But one of the places that we are going is this valley. And we get to shoot slingshots. I hope there's a giant there because I'm actually going to shoot at him. But, but uh, we're going to shoot right in this valley. But think about that as you have these two valleys, you have this field, and here comes the sun shining on this brass monster. Well, he had brass. But David had faith. And can I tell you that faith beats brass every single time? The world loves brass. It's shiny. It's flashy. It looks strong. It's impressive. looks powerful. But it's no match for faith. We see that over and over and over again throughout Scripture. Uh, David had the credentials of faith. Then look at David's success. Verse 37. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. So David's come a long way this, this day. Think about this. This morning he wakes up as a keeper of the sheep, and now he, then he became a messenger boy for his father. Now before the day's over, he's a soldier in Israel's army, and more than that, a representative of that whole army in a duel that everyone's afraid to fight. You could call him an overnight success, right? Eddie Cantor said it takes 20 years to be an overnight success. A lot of truth to that. Ray Kroc of McDonald's fame said, I was an overnight success, but the night was 30 years long. Uh, that's the, we understand that the, there's no such thing really as an overnight success. Sometimes it seems like that, but there's a lot of prep work that goes on before. A lot of hard work and dedication that goes on behind the scenes before the overnight success. David was successful in his life and victorious on this day because of what he had done before this day. Uh, I forget which boxer said it. I'm not big into boxing, but I, I was reading something one time. There's some boxer said, maybe some of you know, but that you don't win a ring in the, you don't win a fight in the ring. You win a fight in your training. Uh, the ring is just basically what you're, uh, an output of how hard you've trained. And this is really true for here too. Uh, David was not playing video games and fell off the couch into success. Okay. He was out working. He was being faithful. And uh, he was where he doing what he was supposed to be doing at the point in his life, and then uh, it led to greater opportunity. It was the same way with Joseph. Yes, Joseph went uh, woke up one day a prisoner and went to bed that night a prince. We know that story, but uh, it was all the faithfulness beforehand that led to that point. Joseph was not an overnight success. It took years to get him to the point, and then. God promoted him just like that. And I'm telling you that because it is, you won't fall into success either, and neither will I, for, for the Lord. You, you must be intent on fulfilling your role, whatever that is, right, right now, wherever God's got you. And uh, maybe it's frustrating at times. I'd like to be doing such and such and this and that. Uh, allow God to work with you to that point. About um, th three years ago, it was on a Wednesday night, just like this, and we had a visitor, first-time visitor. He was about 22, 23, something like that. And he came, he sat right back where Linnell's at and uh, sat through the service. And, and I could tell he was just really, really into the message. And, you know, he was just, he was really into it. And so afterwards, he uh, asked if we could, could we meet tomorrow? Could we talk and stuff? And so, yeah, I said, well, take me cake for coffee. So I set it up, and we're going to go out for coffee. I met him, and, and we actually went to lunch. And, and I'm talking, he was all excited, and he informed me he's going to be my assistant. He's going to be my assistant pastor. 
He informed me of that. So, man, we are going to tear this town up. That's what he said. He had all kinds of plans, you know. Um, so I started talking. Well, tell me about your, your his, his church history and all this stuff. He had gone to church. He hadn't gone, you know. And by the way, whenever anybody wants to do anything for the Lord, I don't say no. I say, great, let's get you there. So here's how we're going to do it. So I started talking about, um, well, first of all, preachers, preachers got to go to church three times a week. Okay, that's kind of a must. We don't always want to, but we got to go, okay, every time, whether want to or not. And uh, I'm kidding. I, I want to come. But uh, I said, then, then we'll get you signed up in discipleship. And I started going down the list of some things we ought to do. And, and the, the enthusiasm fizzled and fizzled and fizzled. Because people, you know, it looked appealing to him, standing up, talking to people. And people are listening. That, sound, that sounds like my gig there. I want to stand up. But there's a little bit that goes on before that point. You know what I'm saying? So we get so att attracted to the end of what somebody has accomplished, but we're not willing to go through the process to get there. Oh, we'd all like to be second to Pharaoh, like Joseph was. But would you be faithful in prison? Would you be faithful in, 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 in the face of a temptress like Potiphar's wife? Would you stay clean? Would you not get bitter? Would you keep honoring God? Would you keep doing right day after day after day while you're rotten in a cell, forgotten by the world and, and, and everybody? Would you, would you keep being faithful? So we don't like that part. But we do like the, we like being the prime minister. We like being second in command. I'm just telling you, be faithful where you are and let God promote you to that next step. Be prepared for service and God will work out the place for the service. I remember when I was a teenager, my dad, I thank God for my dad because we would, we talked about dating and marriage and, and, and uh, birds and bees stuff, you know, very open. He was very uh, good like that. And uh, I talked to him one day about how I was putting together the list for my perfect wife. And there was a list. I mean, there'd be a lot of things she's going to have to. And so he, as kindly as he could, the best thing you can do is you wad up that list and throw it away and you start one on you. And you be the right person and then you let, you, worry, you let God worry about bringing the right girl to the right person. That wasn't as fun as making a list for her. But you know what I mean. It's a lot more fun to make a list for someone else, isn't it, than to make a list for ourselves. Uh, so just be, be, be faithful where you are. Uh, look at David's equipping next, verse 38. Uh, we see that Saul armed David with his armor, put his helmet of brass on his head, armed him with a coat of mail, puts all this stuff on David, and uh, he rejected it. He rejected the armor of the flesh because he could not maneuver in it. Can I tell you that all the accoutrements of the world are not much help in our battle uh, with the enemy for the soul? Uh, the world has lots of things it likes to arm us with, but that's not going to win the battle with the devil and with our flesh. And I'm talking about, look, I'm not against psychology, but psychology is not going to get you victor spiritually victorious, all right? Uh, those, are, those are worldly accoutrements. But he took the armor of faith. Uh, look at verse 40. Uh, he took his staff in his bag and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag. Five stones and a slingshot. <laughs> five stones and a slingshot was his weapon of choice. It was puny. It was totally inadequate to the brass that Goliath was wearing. But as I said a few minutes ago, brass without faith is not equal to a slingshot 
with faith. It, because we, if we got God on our side, we need not fear the world that we're facing. Oh, that would be so helpful if we'd grasp that. And I'm afraid that many Christians, and yes, even churches today are, are embracing brass to build and grow their churches. Worldly accoutrements and, and more and more preaching, the attitude is, is, is grabbing on that preaching is inadequate. I, I know of several places, even in town, where the preaching went from uh, the main part of the service to kind of an add-on and, and lessened and lessened to now it's a 10-minute sermonette after a long concert type. You know, it's just preaching gets minimized as the, as, as the place comes more carnal. And so instead, churches insist on psychology, concerts, ball games, entertainment, drama, prizes, all these things. And preaching then is trimmed from the order of service to make room for more entertainment. But we need to get back to in our churches to keeping preaching the main thing. The Bible says, by the foolishness of preaching, men believe. And that's so important. And that's how we'll win the Goliaths of our society. Preaching is not the only armor of faith, by the way, that's despised in churches. What we did earlier tonight, prayer. The most powerful weapon in our armor is largely ignored. We talk about prayer. Oh, we'll agree it's important. And that's good. Do we pray? That's a question for us. All right, we looked at the villain, the volunteer. I want to look at the victory. And this will probably take this week and next week, but I want to get started. Some cool things to see here. Look at verse number 40. He, this is talking about David, uh, verse number 40, and he took off his staff, chosen five Sioux stones uh, at, the, at the end of the verse, and he drew near to the Philistine. And then verse 48, after they did some talking, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, it came to pass when the Philistine rose, it came nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran. Yes, finally David's doing what I would do. So David gets close to the Philistine, and then Goliath starts walking toward David. You know, like the... Like the uh, fee fi fo fum giant, you know, I smell the blood of an Englishman. And he starts walking toward David, and the Bible says, and David ran. <laughs> yeah, I would too. Toward. <laughs> that's, where I, that's where we split up. Okay, that's where I would not do what David did. He ran toward the giant. Can you imagine? He ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Now, this would be a shock to everybody who was watching, but that is just an amazing thing to me. It was up to David here to get the duel started. Glass been out there challenging, and so he comes, and he, uh, he heads toward Goliath. No other man in Saul's army agreed to go into the fight or volunteered. And uh, i got to tell you, if you're going to do great things for God, there are times you're going to have to stand alone. There are times that you're going to have to be faithful alone. See, well, my family doesn't want to come to church. You come, amen? You be faithful. And, and sometimes that's a, that's a necessary thing. And so uh, it, if you cannot stand alone for your convictions, you will not be a standout in God's army. It's just not going to happen. We need to have that ability and that willingness. David's courage came from faith in God. David believed that God would deliver him. Look again at verse 37. The Lord delivered me out of the paw of the lion. The paw of the bear, he'll deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. Any great work of God requires courage. And he didn't drag his feet. He ran toward the army to meet the Philistine, verse 48. This is the third time in this chapter it talks about David running. I think this is interesting. Verse 17, Jesse told David to run to the camp. Verse 22, David ran to his brothers when they came to the army camp. Now he runs to Goliath to engage him in battle. All this, I think, speaks of 
the diligence and enthusiasm in David's service. And this is exactly what we don't see in Saul. If we're going to serve successfully, have a little enthusiasm. Amen? Like, we get so excited at the football game and uh, at, at, at sporting events. And we come to church and, you know, we're just bumps on a log. I was at a, a game, football game a couple of years ago at, uh, over here at SDSU. And it was in a snowstorm. And uh, it wasn't horribly cold, but it was cold and snowing buckets. Like if, I, if you stood up, by the time you sat down, there was snow in your seat. It was just, it was coming down heavy. And the longer I sat there, the more ticked off I was getting. And because people didn't go home. If that stinking thermostat's like one degree too high, people are complaining here at church. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm being facetious a little bit, but you get my point. People sit in a snowstorm, have enthusiasm for a sporting event. And that's okay. We ought to have enthusiasm for God's stuff too. I prefer the, this, I don't know who made this statement, but I like it. I prefer the errors of enthusiasm to the indifference of wisdom. Sometimes you'll make mistakes and do dumb things enthusiastically, but I prefer that over the indifference of wisdom. If you want to serve God, get excited about it. Like, like one of my, I mean, if you want to see good TV, there's not much good TV, but find an infomercial. Oh, I love infomercials. I will watch them for, for forever. They are hilarious to me. Uh, the, do you have a problem opening jars? Do you have the strength of a five-year-old girl? And it's in, gray, in black and white, you know, and oh, oh, trying to open the jar and, and get the jar glove. And then it pops right open. Uh, oh, it's hilarious. They're fake. They're, they're, it's just uh, the way that they act things out and they make everything, you know, like uh, in, in cutting something. Oh, they can't cut a carrot. So you got to have this, this thing. But there's enthusiasm. And you know what? If you watch long enough, I think I could maybe use one of those things. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, it, I mean, cutting a, slicing a banana, and I got to do all this, and this is just, you press it on the whole, ah, I don't know. That's why you might have bought something like that at two in the morning if you can't sleep, okay? But what sells it is the enthusiasm. That's what sells it. You'd never buy that if you walk through a store and see it sitting there, and you think, what kind of idiot would waste their money on that? Enthusiasm sells, Amen. And we give out tracts. We invite people to church. We're not enthusiastic about it. Let's be enthusiastic about it. I mean, this is, this is a, this is a good thing that we can offer people, all right? Uh, so let's have some enthusiasm. That's what David had. All right. I think we're going to stop there. Um, Goliath's reaction. I, I, well, let's just mention this. 42. I love this. Philistine looked about and saw David and he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and a fair countenance. The word looked about there, it comes from a Hebrew word uh, to show regard to, to pay attention to, and to consider. So Goliath is, is uh, I, I can just picture it. You know, seriously? It, that looks like a kid, you know, and he looks again, and uh, he looks closely, and, and of course, the, uh, he's, he's angry because this is an offense, uh, you send out a kid to fight me? Yeah, that's what he says. What am I, a dog? What do you think I am? I'm a soldier. Send out a kid? But I know this is a bit of a stretch for application, but the lost world has given you a once-over too, like Goliath did him. They're watching you. They're looking at you. They're judging you, whether or not you're for real. Uh, there's a testimony Brother West gives about 
um, somebody he worked with that watched him for a year and at, after that got saved but had to watch him for a year to see if he was for real. And people do that. They watch you, see if you're for real. And uh, so uh, Goliath's reaction is, is uh, funny and um, it also it, it's he, uh, how he responds and uh, the back and forth between him and David is, uh, is just is, is gold. So don't miss out next week. All right, we'll go through that. Thank you, Father.